Let me take a moment just in the Christmas spirit of Thanksgiving. We just did finish Thanksgiving recently. Uh, thank you to Rita and David stepping in when our, if you notice in the bulletin, they weren't the ones scheduled for today. Uh, though due to illness, they stepped right in. Uh, David had, a, I think, 24 hours notice, and Rita had about 24 minutes notice. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for those who were involved in bringing our ornaments. We're looking forward to enjoying those. And thank you for those who helped beautify uh, the church during the season. We appreciate it very much. And thank you for being here. Well, this we're starting a series uh, that will take us through Christmas. And I, I, I like to think about things, uh, seeing Christmas or various events through different eyes. I always enjoy reading biographies and see how did these people see these events. And so we're going to walk through some major characters uh, during this time. And the first one we want to talk about is Mary and, and how, how the Christmas events affected her. The, and uh, we'll start. And so that's, if you notice in your bulletin, it's, it's Luke 1 and 2. Now, some of you know me, and that gives you right away a nervous feeling. Drake, two chapters in, in Luke. I should have brought my, my bag lunch with me into the sanctuary. Well, uh, we're going to take just portions of it, and so I'll apologize in advance. Normally, I don't like to just skip over, but, but we're going to focus on the sections that, that deal with, with Mary uh, in particular. And, and so we're going to have three scenes, really, in, that, that relate to Mary from the, from the first beginning of announcement uh, through, straight through to the birth. And so the first section is Mary and the angel in, in chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And again, I'm not even going to read necessarily, I don't think, all of those, but uh, many of those verses. So you know, have, if you're going to look, I encourage you to look at your Bible and I'll be uh, trying to let you know where I'll be reading. But starting in verses 1, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now we're told um, Gabriel appears to Mary. Uh, by the way, on Wednesday night, we showed some pictures of Bethlehem and Nazareth and tried to give a, a feel for what these things look like. But, we, but this angel appears to Mary, but this isn't the first appearance. Actually, Gabriel shows up first in the book of Daniel. So we're looking at about 500 years before Christ. Gabriel is named as the angel who was sent by God to help Daniel understand the revelations, the visions he was having that was showing him God's plan for the future of Israel. And so I think that's significant. Gabriel comes from God to help uh, Daniel understand God's big picture program for Israel. Then he's not seen again for 500 years until he shows up in Jerusalem earlier in our chapter. There's Zecharias, a priest, and for the first time in his life, it's his privilege to burn incense in the holy place. Something you know, he looked forward to and longed to do. What an incredible privilege. Very few. Only, uh, only certain ones would ever enter into that holy place. And for him to, to stand before the veil and, and, and burn the incense and, and, and pray and worship. But to his shock, as he is alone in there, suddenly someone is with him. And then he, he finds out it is Gabriel 
who is sent from God to announce that, that he's going to have a miracle, his wife's going to have a miracle birth. Well, if John had it, it would be a real miracle birth, but, uh, but, a, but a miracle birth. Though they were unable to have children, she's going to have a child. And, he's, and, and, and John says, well, how can I know this is true? And that'll be an interesting contrast when Mary asks the question, how can these things be? She wants to understand, how is this going to work? John is like, nah, <laughs> not Elizabeth. This, this isn't going to happen. And so uh, Gabriel is in there. Now we see Gabriel showing up six months later, 500 years earlier now, then in Jerusalem, and then it's just six months later coming to Galilee. And I think, what a contrast. Where Daniel was like second highest in, in, in Babylon. And he was a high court official. So there in the, in the palaces and, and in the royal precincts of Babylon, Gabriel comes to a very high-level official, Daniel, the prophet of God. And then when he comes in the New Testament to Zechariah, Zechariah is, is a priest of God. And you don't get a more splendid place for God to appear than right there in the temple. Right behind that curtain is the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory of God. And, and an angel appears to this uh, uh, priest doing the work of the temple. Six months later, at about 75 miles north, Gabriel comes to this young girl, Mary. We're told he was uh, sent by God, literally sent from God. So he came from God's presence in glory to Galilee, which is pretty close to the opposite of the glory of heaven. It's a little village, and we said on Wednesday night, archaeology tells us the, the population was about 200. And it was this little, humble, simple village. It's not even named in the Old Testament. It, it's just, it's up there in the, uh, in, the, in the hills of Galilee, and it's just a humble, simple village. And we can tell that uh, Mary and Joseph were not people of wealth. When eventually it comes time for them to bring an offering into the temple, they, they had to use the special poor man's offering. So a poor woman in a poor village in a humble area, and, and, and instead of being... The, by then elderly Daniel, highly esteemed royal counselor, or the elderly priest there in the glorious presence of the temple, this is a young woman. She's, we're told she's betrothed to, to uh, David. And so what indicates us, she's probably a young teenager. What a contrast to the previous appearances of Gabriel. But here he comes, and he comes to this virgin betrothed to a man whose name, verse 27 is where I'm reading, was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I like the way Luke builds that up. Um, his readers would know the name Mary, but he holds back on that until the very end by telling us her, her qualifications. She was a virgin, betrothed. And you might think of that in terms of, of engagement. It's like that. But it's, it's more serious than that. Betrothal, you were legally considered married, though you did not come together until the actual marriage. 
to break a betrothal, if you break an engagement, you just return the ring, um, either by handing it or throwing it or in some way. Uh, it, betrothal, it required a legal divorce. And so you were the restrictions of marriage were on you. So she was betrothed, we're told, uh, to Joseph. And we're told he was of the house of David. That's significant. He's of the messianic line. And then we're told the virgin's name was Mary. So what we're told about her, she was a morally pure, godly young woman. And again, based on the fact she's betrothed, that would suggest, which usually betrothed lasted a year. So she's probably in her young teens. We're told her name was Mary or Miriam. Miriam would be the Hebrew equivalent. And there were, we see then the, the greeting the angel gave. Having come in, verses 28 and 29, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. He came in and she was startled. Notice it says he came in. That's, now this is some careful exegesis. That means she was inside. Okay? Uh, and what, and what, what that suggests is, again, a young woman, she was busy about household chores. I was, wanted to say doing laundry, but actually the women back then did their laundry outside by the river, you know, pounding things on the rocks. So she would have been inside, maybe cooking, maybe cleaning. But she was inside busy about the labors of a young woman in the home, uh, helping her family's home. And suddenly, here comes Gabriel, uh, just as suddenly as he appeared to uh, Zecharias in the temple. And she looked at him and she startled. She was troubled. She, she, she was surprised to see him, but we're, then notice it says, she was troubled at his saying. She doesn't say, who are you? But we quickly gather she recognizes he's, he's coming from God and somehow maybe she knew he was an angel. I don't know that, you know, often when we see angels described, this says they're, you know, men in white. And so there's no description of them, you know, having wings that she would have seen. But perhaps she perceived it, but certainly she understood he was a messenger from God. And what he said troubled her. She sensed something special was going on here. Maybe she suspected he was an angel. But the words bothered her. Why would he call her, um, my translation has highly favored one. Um, literally, it means one, who had been, one who's been graced. Greetings, one who has been graced, one who has received God's grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And she's thinking, why would this godly messenger come to me and say that I have special, I've received grace from God and, and I am I'm special among women. I'm a, I'm a nothing. I'm a, I'm a peasant girl in a peasant village, far from Jerusalem, far from Rome. And, and so she's just troubled. What could these words mean? I, I, I'll quickly pass and, and, or mention um, this is the passage where our, our Roman Catholic friends get the um, Hail Mary prayer. If you grew up Catholic, I could get you reciting it right now, but it starts off Hail Mary, full of grace. Or you've, you've heard the song Ave Maria. That's just the Latin version. Um, 
this word full of grace is probably not a good, that comes from the Latin translation of this text. He doesn't say you're full of grace, but you've been fully graced. In other words, she doesn't have, she's not full of grace to dispense. She has received a fullness of God's grace. And the whole point of grace is, grace means you don't deserve it. And so that's why you could get a John Newton who could sing, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Really Worthy Fellow Like Myself. No, a wretch. It's wretches who get a full measure of God's grace. But she's wondering, I, I, I'm, what does this all mean? Blessed of God, the Lord is with me. I'm, I'm just this, I'm no Isaiah, I'm no Jeremiah. I, I'm, I'm not an Esther. Who am I? So she was troubled over what manner of greeting this was. And then we're told in verses 30 and 31, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. First, he gives her words of comfort. Don't be afraid, or literally, stop being afraid. And again, uh, you often see when someone uh, encounters an angel, their response is fear. And the first words often is, don't be afraid. I have good news for you. This isn't about judgment. It's about blessing. And then he explained the news. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So he announces to this young, morally pure young woman who's betrothed to be married, you're going to have a child. You're going to conceive and have a child. And then we talk about the, vir- the miracle of the virgin birth. In verses 32 and 33, he will be great, this son of yours. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel now explains to her um, who this son will be. He's not just saying, you're going to have a baby. This is no common child. He's going to be the son of the highest. That's an extremely exalted way of speaking of God. In Hebrew, it's El Elyon. The exalted God. In the Greek, it's a different word, but it, it has the idea of from the heights. You know, when you think of the, the God's name Elohim, that means the strong one. When you, when you think of God's name Yahweh or Jehovah, that has the idea of the covenant, faithful covenant-keeping God. But this, this is the God who is the high one, which suggests his, his, he's unapproachable. And she's going to bear the son of the unapproachably exalted God. That's, that's the, it's, it's like two opposites. The son of the most high is going to be your baby. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he points to him, first of all, this child is going to be divine, son of the most high, and he's going to be the promised Messiah. Interestingly, he's, he's the son of the most high God 
and he's the son of David. Boy, this angel can pack his theology into a couple verses. We see that Jesus is God and man. He is God. He is the son of God. He is man. He is a, he is a descendant of David. And he's going to rule on his father David's throne. He is the promised Messiah. In every generation, God's people would pray, you've, you've promised our deliverer. Now would be a good time. You probably offered prayers like that. Lord, you promised deliverance. You promised intervention. Now would be a good time. I always think about the time I was standing outside the, the chem labs and finals were next week. And I had a good discussion with the Lord about the timing of the rapture. I said, this would be a great time. Why should I waste time studying for these final exams when you could just take me right now? Well, as you can gather, um, I wasn't persuasive enough, I guess, because here I am. But, but, but every generation, Lord, this would be a good time. And boy, you want to talk about it now? Look at this. The Holy Land is filled with these Roman infidels and, 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 and all the influences that have come. Lord, send your Messiah. Now to this young lady... A humble woman of a humble family and a humble village with a heart for the Lord, morally pure. This angel comes and says, guess what? You get to bear the Messiah. Every young woman of the line of Judah, of the line of David, would, would perhaps at some point think, could it be me? Could it be me? And here, Mary gets the news straight from heaven. Mary, it's you. It's you. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I, I do not know a man? In other words, she, she hasn't had relations with the man. How am I, how am I going to bear a child? It doesn't work that way. I'm not married yet. Uh, what's going to happen here? Verse uh, 35 to 37, we read, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And this, if you read Genesis 1, just the first couple of verses, it talks about the, the Holy Spirit hovering over the earth. So in other words, another spectacular creation moment. The Holy Spirit will 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 come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That's how he can be God because this is a work of the Holy Spirit bringing God into you. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So Gabriel explains it. How's it going to happen? It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be a miracle. God the Holy Spirit will accomplish this in you. How Mary's head must have been spinning. And then in his mercy, now, now again, Zecharias, when God told him Elizabeth's going to have a baby, he said, how do I know that's true? And God said to him, well, since you're going to question the angel from God's presence who tells you it's true, you're not going to speak until it is visible, until you see that baby born. 
And I always think of him going home and, and, and taking out all the clay tablets and writing as quickly as he could and trying to explain. And, and I always picture him coming out. Remember, they, they, when he comes out of the holy place, they say he must have seen an angel. I always imagine him flapping his wings and trying to give sign language. You wouldn't believe what I saw. But, but God said, you don't believe. I'm going to strike you silent. Gabriel, to this young woman, says, let me help you. Let me, let me strengthen you. I'll tell you about another miracle birth. Your relative, we often call her cousin. It's not, you know, one of us first cousin, second cousin, eighth cousin, but your relative Elizabeth. Now, she would have known who she was. She would have known about her family down there, we assume, which is the way he's describing you, You've got a relative named Elizabeth, and she probably would have known. Uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, God never gave them a child. And then he says, your, your, your relative Elizabeth? She's going to, she sucks, she is six months along. She's going to have a baby. And so, so that's meant to be, here's a confirming sign to you. And then verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the main servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary, we can see this by some of the things she says, what's called the Magnificat that comes along later when she's talking to Elizabeth. It is saturated with scripture. Kind of reminds me when Spurgeon spoke of, um, of Bunyan's uh, pilgrim, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said, oh, he, he has Bibline coursing through his veins. In other words, the Bible just saturates that man. Well, the Bible saturated this young woman. And so her response is when she thinks of praising God, it just, the scriptures just bubble forth. She's a woman of faith. And so what that tells me, and a woman of the scriptures, so as he's talking about this miracle of virgin birth, I think she's probably, her mind has gone back to what was said to Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, or what Isaiah said to the king, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. While it's still overwhelming and, and there's more here than we can, I can even figure out 2,000 years later with lots of help, Mary is grasping the essence of it. God will come upon you and accomplish a miracle. You will have a child that is God and man and the promised Messiah. And it will be the fulfillment of the virgin birth promised by Isaiah. What a blessing. Again, the prayer of so many young women over the centuries. But at the very same moment, what a challenge. I often think of, can you imagine the response of, you know, when you're, when you're given something precious, the first thing I, I try to do is offload it onto someone else. And if someone help, you know, hands you this expensive vase or painting or something, first thing I'm thinking is, how do I get rid of this thing? Because I don't want to be the one responsible for breaking it. If someone has a really nice car, and by that, something that's less than five years old, um, I get nervous driving it. Imagine the responsibility of bearing and raising the Messiah. 
Who could be adequate for such a thing? And then there's the other side of this. Who's going to believe me? When they see me with child and I'm telling them, oh no, I'm, I, I am the virgin that's going to bear the Messiah. An angel told me. Her parents must have wrestled with this. And she knew the looks that were going to come. She knew the things people would say. She knows people. So she knows a time of hardship is coming. But what does she say? Behold the maidservant, literally the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She completely and totally yields herself. And what she's saying here is, I don't fully understand. I don't know all that this is going to cost me. But I'm ready. And so she gives herself to the Lord. In this past passage, we see a clear indication of the miracle of the virgin birth, one of the incredible uh, events of history that often is a testing point. Do you believe the Bible? And one of the, one of the ways of seeing that is, do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you remember Larry King? And it was a, UN, a CNN talk show host for, for about 400 years, I think. He was once asked who he would most want to interview if he could choose anyone from all of history. And this Jewish uh, unbeliever said, Jesus Christ. The questioner said, and what would you like to ask him? King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Here's a smart man, and he gets it. If Jesus is indeed virgin born, then he's the Messiah, and he's the Savior. I mean, that's a defining issue. Unfortunately, he didn't get that interview in this life. So she wrestled, what am I going to do? And she simply, wholeheartedly yields herself to the Lord as, a, as his servant, as his slave. A couple of things I want us to just notice at this point. Mary knew God's word well enough to recognize God's messenger and God's message. In other words, she wasn't being misled. She knew the scriptures and what she was hearing and all fit God's word. And so she had a, a, a believing, trusting heart and mind. And in that believing and trusting, in that faith and submission, she readily, joyfully, trustingly yielded herself to the Lord. Trust and submission. In that, Mary knows, by the way, she's not the center of the program. She's a servant of the program. It's not about Mary. It's about Jesus. This verse, Behold Your Handmaiden, uh, was something used in the life of another young woman. Perhaps you may have heard of uh, Anne Hasseltine or Hazeltine. If I gave her last name when she was married, Judson, she is the wife, became the wife of Adoniram Judson. He wanted to become America's first foreign missionary. And he fell in love with this beautiful girl from Bradford, Massachusetts. She was the daughter of a congregational deacon. And, and Adnarm Judson wrote a letter to her parents asking permission to marry her. Here's what he said. 
I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land, and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to uh, every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Now, fathers here, you get a letter like that, what do you do? That's why we were given shredders, right? It's not on your life, but, but there it is. What are you going to do? Here's her thoughts as she wrote in her journal. I am a creature of God, and he has an undoubted right to do with me as seemeth good in his sight. I rejoice that I am in his hand, that he is everywhere present and can protect me in one place as well as in another. When I am called to face danger, to pass through scenes of terror and distress, he can inspire me with fortitude and enable me to trust him. Whether I spend my days in India or America, I desire to spend them in service of God and be prepared to spend an eternity in his presence. I am quite willing to give up temporal comforts and live a life of hardship and trial if it be the will of God. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. So here was one young woman who heard the words of Mary and said, God, give me the grace to have the same heart. And this young woman, I think, just in her example, speaks to each of us. May God give us the grace to say, here is your servant, Lord. Here is your slave. Do your will in my life. Well, then Mary went and saw Elizabeth. Um, I think she raced down there. Why did, why did the angel say, by the way, you know, your cousin Elizabeth is with child. Well, she knew about Elizabeth being barren. She didn't know about the child. Um, and so we're told, verse 39 and 40, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So she didn't know about the pregnancy. We're told in, in chapter 1, verse 24, Now after those days... Uh, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth after she conceived she hid herself for five months so she kind of went into hiding Uh, what would people say about her being with child like oh wow Um, you've been eating too many tacos you couldn't be pregnant what's going on here and so she waited until uh, there was no question so so Mary didn't know and how would she find out she couldn't pick up a phone she couldn't text her she couldn't message her she couldn't check her social media accounts right she had to go And so she took it from the angel when he says, here's some confirmation, Elizabeth. So she thought, okay, I'm being told by God, go see Elizabeth. And she did. She put her faith into action right away. When John and Elizabeth greeted her with joy, Elizabeth said, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who has believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. We're told Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, so her words are are biblically truth. And so we're told John, still in the womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it in chapter 1, verse 15. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist, who's called to be a prophet of God, is a very unusual prophet. Before he's born, he's prophesying. 
Because he's responding to the voice of Mary, who is the mother of his Lord. And by the way, we could go a whole sermon just to what that tells us about the unborn. The, un- we're to- the Bible tells us John, six months along, had joy. Could recognize a voice that by the Holy Spirit knew mother of the Messiah. But this shows us in the biblical worldview, the unborn child is a child. And so he responds. And Mary responds when, when you know, Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord should visit me? That's totally reversed. The younger is supposed to honor the older. Mary's a peasant girl. This is a priest's wife. But Elizabeth is saying, who am I that you should visit me? You're the mother of my Lord. And Mary's response is what we call the Magnificat. That's from the first word in Latin of her song, starting at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. So she begins by just marveling at God's grace. Who am I? She doesn't say, I deserve this. I'm worthy of this. That's the point of grace. If you deserve it, it's not grace. It's reward. But if you don't deserve it, and it's a blessing from God, that's grace. And so she's exalting the God of grace. I'm nothing. But he's chosen me to be a vessel of glory. And so if you read through the Magnificat, we're not going to. uh, It's just loaded with biblical allusions. This is a young woman who knew her scriptures and exalts her Lord and marvels at his saving grace. And so some quick notes and thoughts on Mary's response. Just as she responded to Gabriel, this shows her character as well. She believes God's revelation and understands the messianic proportions she's hearing. This woman is, this young, this young lady gets it. She knows her Bible, she knows her theology, and she can recognize the truth of God's word. There's a dispute among theologians. Is she closer to 12 or closer to 14? And I, and I wonder how, how a 12 to 14-year-old today would compare to Mary. I think she's a challenge to all of us because I think you could add 50 years to that and still say, how do we compare? How do we, are, are we biblically grounded? Are we discerning? Are we thinking biblically about life and, and ready to and, and, and surrendering our, ourselves to the Lord? What a challenge for young people. What a challenge for us. When she hears God's word and will, she embraces it. How often our response is, I'll get back to you, God. Let me pray about this. Her response is readily, is that God's will? Then that's my will. Period. I'm yours to do what you want with me. If we could just grasp that truth and that attitude in our hearts, 
That would be transforming. Here I am, your servant, whatever your will be. And that isn't grudging. This isn't a child saying, Mom, if you say I'm to eat my beets, then I'll eat my beets. It's a readiness. If this is your will, Lord, I delight to do it. And I'll trust you to give me the grace for all this means. She doesn't boast in herself. She doesn't say she deserves it. It's all God's grace. And isn't that true of all of us? So often people want to say, oh, oh, we should maybe, there are those. We pray to Mary. We, we worship her. No. She says she needs a Savior just like we do. But we learn and can be challenged from her example because we have been deeply graced also. Because the Bible tells us that while we were enemies of God, rebels against his cause, he sent his son to die for us. In Romans, Paul talks about you wouldn't give your life, you might give your life for a good person. Would you give your life for a rebel? But Jesus gave his life for rebels. that he might adopt us into his family as sons and daughters. That's grace. And our response should be like hers, to marvel at incredible grace. Well, then in chapter 2, which is the Christmas story, I'll just camp on a few verses here. We see Mary in Bethlehem. First in verses 4 and 5, we see the birth. Joseph went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So by now they had become married, otherwise she couldn't travel with him, and that also meant that the child born would be legally his. But they were already married, we're told in Matthew chapter 124. Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as he was told of the angel of the Lord and took, and, and took to him his wife, Mary. So he married her. And they traveled together to register. And so, and so well, this is another thing we can think of during the season. They make the journey, why? Compelled by a decree from Caesar, who was compelled to make that decree by the Lord God of heaven. And so that's one of those marvels. How was it that this Galilean little couple ended up in Bethlehem, which... 500 years before was predicted that's where they would be 700 years before. God moved Caesar to declare a registry that forced them to go to Bethlehem at just the right time. We see the sovereignty of God accomplishing the fulfillment of prophecy. Then we see the testimony of the shepherds in verses 16 to 19. They came with haste, found Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They they told what the angels told them. All those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them. We're told, they told everyone, you know, Bethlehem is another small town. And, and so you can imagine these, <laughs> these shepherds, everybody saw, we just saw angels. They said there's a baby here that's the Messiah. Let's go find him. It must have been, it must have, you know, the dark quiet of Bethlehem, that oh holy night, that silent night, uh, was shattered. And when they came and said, this is incredible. Just as was described, here's a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough. And then they said, and the, Bible, and, and the angel said, this is our Savior. This is the Messiah. This is the one. 
They told everyone. With, can you imagine the enthusiasm? Again, well, we'll talk about the shepherds another time, but we're not told what, what did Mary say. I mean, imagine yourself. If you're Mary and, and these shepherds come in with that, there's some responses. Tell me again. Tell me what they look like. She's trying to figure, was Gabriel one of them? Uh, what did they say? What did they say? Well, some of us would say, that's nothing. I talked to Gabriel one-on-one. And, and let me tell you my side. There's none of that. But notice what it says. It says she, she kept all these things. She treasured them. And she pondered them. And this is something about this godly young woman. She's, she's, she's of the quieter sort. She takes it all in and ponders it, reflects on it, measures it against and the idea, the language suggests the, comparing what they're telling her to what Gabriel said, not looking for conflicts, but putting it all together, but just taking it all and treasuring. I often think, how is it Luke knew what she was thinking? Because she told him. Luke begins his book by saying, I did interviews to better understand the story I'm about to write. Can you imagine Luke scratching away quickly? Or maybe just dropped his pen. Mary, when those shepherds said all that, what did you say? Nothing. I just, I just kind of took it all in and thought about it. And so we see just, again, the humility of this young lady. Her godliness. She wasn't going to try and steal their thunder or... She just wanted to receive and, and because really she recognized, you know, it's not about you, Mary. They didn't say you're going to come and find this young lady that, that one day is going to be uh, uh, worshipped in your churches. No, she said, you're going to go find a baby. You're going to go find a baby. So you can imagine all surrounding the, the major, maybe Mary, Mary got pushed back to the back of the cave and finally someone said, oh, wait a minute, where's the mother? Um, and, and she was good with that because it's not about Mary. It's about Jesus. She didn't want to steal any attention away from him. She took it all quietly in. What a picture of what we're called to. And we're called to have a heart like Mary. It's all about Jesus. This is a season when it's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's easy to just look around and say it's all about uh, Black Friday lasting a whole month. <laughs> it, it, it's all about whatever it might be. This is the one time a year I get that wonderful rice pudding with the hidden almond. It, it, whatever it might be that, you know, no, no, it's about Jesus. Those things are okay as long as they don't distract us from that. And so Mary had the wisdom to, to just take it in and treasure it. When you hear those wonderful, wonderful songs of the season, take in the truth and treasure it. Marvel at it. I love to, to walk through uh, public places and, and once a year hear hymns blasting over the sound system celebrating the fact that God became a man and dwelt among us. Amazing. Take it in and treasure it. So Mary, as we step back and look at this young lady, young lady, her, look how she courageously obeyed God and submitted herself to the will of God. 
What an example for each and every one of us. May, may we have that ready response to say, here I am. Here I am. You do what you're, with my life whatever you will. I'm yours. She quietly obeyed God's will for her life. She didn't make a big scene of, hey, did you all see this? Did you hear my prayer? Lord, you heard my prayer. Here I am. And most of all, that whole Magnificat, that, that the praise of God, read it. It's not about Mary. It's God. You keep your promises. You fulfill your promises. To God be the glory, great things you are doing. And so her greatest delight was to see God glorified. And if God could be glorified in and through her, to God be the glory. Mary recognized she was a sinner in need of a Savior. I hope you see that as well. And that Christ came to die for sin in our place. The one who did not deserve it took our sin that we might know his forgiveness and life. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the message for you is trust in the Savior. Mary trusted him. For those of us who know that Savior, then we with Mary should raise our hearts in, in, in song and adoration for a God of incredible grace and glory. Who am I? And what is the only reasonable response to grasping and embracing that truth? Who am I? I'm your servant, Lord. Do your glory for your glory in my life. Here I am. Father, thank you for Mary. What an example this young lady is. She convicts us, Lord. This young woman, her faith, her commitment to you and your word. Lord, may we follow in her gracious example. May we exult in your glory. May we marvel at your grace. May we yield ourselves for your purposes. And with all this we ask in Jesus Christ our Lord.